Delaware Security Show. Don't let fishing get you down. Slow down and frown and turn it around. Security is in your DNA. Don't throw it away. The well aware security show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or wherever you're at. Uh, welcome to the Well Aware Security Show. I'm George Finney, uh, the Well Awareier. Uh, I'm so excited to have you today. Uh, we're here to talk about zero trust. Um, and I, so uh, I actually saw a Wired article this week, um, which was fascinating. You know, you know you've made the big time in zero trust when, when Wired is writing about you. Uh, but my summary of the, the article is that they, they say that zero trust uh, will, will really uh, catch on uh, if anyone knows uh, or figures out what it actually is. Um, so. Uh, our guest this week doesn't have any trusts left to give. Um, this week, we welcome uh, John Kindervog, uh, the creator of Zero Trust and Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy for Ontoit. So, John, welcome to the show. George, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. I, I, I love our, our chats. Uh, so, for, for the folks listening in, um, uh, John and I met, I, I think, four or five years ago at a cybersecurity conference. Um, and if you've read uh, my book, Well Aware, uh, you know that I, I, I get to tell uh, the origin story of, of, of Zero Trust. John uh, is in one of the chapters. Um, but what you probably don't know um, is that John actually was instrumental uh, in, in, in helping kind of crystallize the, 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 the nine habits for me. So, uh, so John, thank you so much for, for being a, a sounding board uh, for some of my ideas uh, kind of early on in my process. Oh, always. It's been a great, uh, fun thing to hang out with you and, uh, you know, you're always so cheerful. It always makes me happy to hang out with you. So I try to do it, you know, at least once a quarter, if not once a month, because I find it's good for my mental health. If you ever get a chance to hang around George, uh, it's, it's very good for your mental health because we're in an industry where everything is so depressing and George, it just lifts you up. So definitely. So thank you so much for that. Um, so, so we're going to jump right in uh, and, and talk about zero trust. So, um, you know, with, with zero trust, um, I feel like, um, you know, you, you've kind of summarized all of cybersecurity's best practices down into like two words. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you could take another like 60 seconds uh, for, for folks who might not be familiar with zero trust, what exactly is zero trust? Zero trust is a cybersecurity strategy that says that the fundamental problem we have is a broken trust model where the trusted side of, of, a, of a network is the evil internet or the, the untrusted side is the evil internet and the trusted side is the stuff we control. And so therefore we don't do any real security on the trust on the trusted side because, hey, it's trusted, people are trusted. And so actually almost all data breaches and cyber, negative cybersecurity events are an exploitation of that broken trust model. So it's about getting rid of trust. How much trust should you have in a digital system? The answer is zero. 
hence zero trust. I, I, I love it. Um, and you know, you, you've said in the past, you know, trust itself is a vulnerability. Um, and I, I just, I just love that, that picture, right. You know, when you look at firewalls, you know, you, they're, they're actually come with the labels, right. One, one port says trust and the other port, uh, says, you know, untrust. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you've, you've said in the past, uh, you know, shouldn't all the ports just come labeled as untrusted? Uh, wh wh why don't, why don't you think we do that? You know, somewhere down the line, years and years ago, somebody created this idea of trusted and untrusted systems in, in, in the digital realm. And I can't really, you know, I can probably get pretty close to when that happened, when maybe some of the first NAT boxes were used. Uh, and I know one of the guys who wrote some of that early code, and he told me, and I think he's actually the person who did it, but I, but I won't call him out here. Because he just was in his garage and he was like, I got to name this. I'm, I'm doing network translation, right? I'm translating from a routable IP address to uh, RFC 1918 unroutable IP address. I'll just say that the interface where the routable uh, network is, is untrusted in the uh, interface where the uh, 1918 address is, is untrusted. And it was just arbitrary. He didn't think about it. And it just went. And people like this word trust uh, for a number of reasons. It, it, it makes you feel good, right? We need, we seem to need anthropomorphization in the digital world to understand it. So it helps, it, it, it originally helped that way. It now hurts, anthropomorphization hurts, right? Because we say George and John are on the network talking to each other, but we're not. We're, we're not, we're not on the network, right? We haven't shrunken down into subatomic particles. We haven't been sent over the, the, our wireless internet to, to, uh, to the Zoom server so that, so that we can have this conversation. We're still sitting in our various homes. And so it's, it's, it's an inaccurate description, but people just tie into that because otherwise you have to learn a whole lot more about how things work. And one of the problems we have, George, and, and you're also an educator, is that a whole lot of people now don't know how a network works. And you can't secure something that you don't understand. You can't secure something uh, that, that you don't even understand the basic fundamental uh, machinery of it, right? I mean, imagine being an auto mechanic and, and going, uh, oh, there's an engine in here? Where would I find that? You know, and that happens a lot in these discussions. I don't know if you've heard lately, George, but uh, there aren't networks in clouds. There's new news for you. There's no networks, I've been told. Okay. Uh, cl clouds don't have networks. You have a network and you have a cloud. They're two different things. And, and by the way, clouds don't even have servers. We've gotten rid of that. You've heard about this serverless trend? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's no more servers in clouds. It's just, it's just containers all the way down. <laughs> yeah, containers. But I, I'm pretty sure that those containers are, are made out yeah, of yeah, yeah, strands yeah. of DNA or something, right? <laughs> so, you know, we don't need any of this stuff anymore. All of this technology and wires and stuff. That's, oh, that is so old school. All you old people think that way. You know, you know it, it's, it's interesting because, I, I mean, I, I think... There's a tendency to try and uh, you know simplify things, but security we're always on the bleeding edge, right? We're we're the ones having to secure that new thing that nobody else has thought about, whether it's uh, you know whatever it is. And I, I think 
you know, the, the, the pushback, it seems, is always, well, we're, we're the next new thing, so we don't need to be secure. We, you know, the, the iPhone is secure uh, by default, right? We should, we should just trust sure. Apple. We should trust Amazon. Sure. Or, mm-hmm. or, or, or zero trust, you know, of, of, right. of those entities. Um, so, you know, I, I, get, I guess, you know, we're, we're looking at things from, from a security practitioner perspective. Uh, right. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, you're, you're at a hotel, you know, at, 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 you know, at one of your travels throughout your career. Um, and, you know, you, you, you step into a, 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 an elevator with, with a CIO who, who isn't doing zero trust. Um, so what, what's your elevator pitch uh, to, to that CIO, you know, in, in the 30 second elevator ride down uh, that, that zero trust is going to change his or her life? My elevator pitch is about his grand strategic objectives and that I have a strategy called zero trust that will help him achieve those objectives and, uh, and talk about how uh, the first rule of cybersecurity must be to align with the business. And I would ask him a question like him or her, how do you make money? Right. That's kind of the first question that nobody asks in cybersecurity. And so when I was doing the primary research on this at Forrester, one of the things I did, because I did academic research, you know, I mean, Forrester research is like an academic institution. You have to do rigorous research and cite everything, and it has to be peer reviewed, and you have to look at it from multiple views. But one of the things I did that was so fascinating is I, I, did a, I did a survey to business leaders and technology leaders. And I had a whole list of things and I asked them to stack rank what was most important. And the three top things that were important to business leaders were increasing revenue, increasing profitability and stopping data exfiltration. And it turned out those three things were the three bottom um, uh, priorities of, of the technology leaders. Their number one, uh, uh, objective was to increase antivirus catch rate, mm. right? mm. which is a fine thing to do, stop viruses, except it's tactical. It's not strategic. It doesn't help because uh, you're not going to catch all of them, but it doesn't help you message up to leadership why they need to do security. So you're complaining because because the business doesn't understand what you're doing, but you're talking a completely separate language to them. They don't care about spanning tree right? Ask any CEO about spanning tree and you'll get a blank stare. But if you say, I can help enable your business, I can help you increase revenue, I can help you uh, increase profitability, I can make sure that you you have as close to zero downtime as possible, I can stop ransomware, they would go, yes, let's do that. How do we do that? Well, there's a strategy called zero trust. And so zero trust strategically uh, bridges bridges between the grand strategy of, of the business, and then the tactics. The tactics are, are the things we use, the stuff. And everybody wants to talk about stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's how I, I, I do it. it you know, that's a little bit of a long-winded statement, and I've written about this extensively. But zero trust resonates to the highest levels of any organization, right? I, 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 I never have troubles explaining it to board members or CEOs or generals or admirals. I mean, you can tell this because the president of the United States has issued an executive order mandating it. It's not because 
he thinks, oh, look at these technological things and how this packet interacts with this is really, it's because he understands that this is a strategy that can be used. And so I'm on the NSTAC Zero Trust subcommittee and the leadership of that subcommittee have already uh, said, look, we're gonna be telling the president that Zero Trust is a strategy and, and it uses technology, but it's not a technology, it's not a product, right? And that's what people misunderstand. And you saw that you mentioned, we were talking about the Wired article earlier. And of course, uh, that's not a very accurate article. <laughs> but uh, again, it gets into, you know, the stuff and not the idea. And ideas are what propel the world forward because the, the stuff, the tactics changes over time. And so Zero Trust decouples the stuff from the ideas. I, I love that. So if, if you're listening at home uh, and you need your own elevator pitch for bringing zero trust into your organization, re rewind the, 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 the podcast by about, you know, two, three minutes and talk about that, right? Align your, your cybersecurity strategy uh, with the business, right? And I, I think those, those three points, right? Look at revenue, look at profitability, uh, look at protecting, you know, privacy of your customers, uh, you know, talk about how, you, you know, security can be a competitive advantage to your organization. Uh, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of change gears for a second. So um, let's rewind the clock ab about, you know, nine, 10 months. Um, and, and so, you know, solar winds happened last year. Um, and, and I guess, you know, I, I was a little surprised as the details started to come out um, that, that particularly the government, but, you know, but lots of other organizations um, you know, uh, I, I don't think it ha have, have really embraced Zero Trust or ha have adopted it um, because I, I think Zero Trust would have prevented uh, the, the vulnerability from infecting some of those networks. And, and we can talk more about uh, why or, or, or that may or may not be true. Um, but what do you think is holding organizations back uh, from adopting a, a Zero Trust strategy in their organizations? Well, there's a couple things. One is that's not the way we've always done things. Mm. I've heard that for a decade. That's not the way we've always done things. And my response is, you're right. It's not. But have the thing, way we, the ways we've always been doing things ever worked? Well, the answer is no. So why not try something new? Uh, secondly, they've been told, people have been told that it's hard to do. And it's complex. And it's not. In fact, George, there's only nine things you need to know to do zero trust. Nine things. That's all. Anybody can remember nine things, I hope, right? There's four, four design principles and five steps to applying it. So the four design principles uh, focus on the business outcomes. First thing, what is the business trying to achieve? The second design principle is design from the inside out instead of the outside in. You know, just like I know that we always design networks from the outside in. We started at the edge and we move in inward. And we actually never get to the place where we're, we understand what we're protecting. That's why it fails, because we're, we don't know what we're protecting. And then the third step we have is, um, uh, you know, least privilege, control access on a need to know basis, right? Ask the question, does so-and-so need to have access to that data to get, to, to get their job done? That's how I tell them, don't use the words least privilege. Say, 
do you need to have access? George, do you need to have access to that data to do your job? And I'll bet most times the answer is no. So we give too much access to too many people for no reason, right? After the Snowden, uh, well, actually it was after, after the Manning breach, but, but these are good examples. Snowden and Manning, they're like the Beyonce and Madonna of cybersecurity, right? You can use your laugh track there. Uh, <laughs> Hang on, let me, let me pull up the laugh track again. Uh, yeah. uh, there, there we go. But, but seriously, right? They're, they're one word people. And they prove that zero trust isn't MFA and identity because their identities, there was no, there was no question is the identity that was being used on those networks. But I was talking to one of the people involved in the prosecution of PFC Manning. And uh, th this individual said, when it first crossed my desk, I asked, how does a private first class in a forward operating base in Iraq have access to classified State Department cables? And he realized the answer was a broken trust model because he knew me, he knew what zero trust was. This is somebody in the federal prosecutor's office. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's what, that was the attack vector the trust model for both Snowden and Manning, they exploited trust. Hmm. So, so we give too much access to too many people for no reason at all. And then the fourth step is inspect and log the, all that traffic because in both cases for Snowden and Manning, no one looked at their packets post authentication. We have this movement that zero trust equals identity and it doesn't. And we're gonna say that in NSTAC, uh, it consumes identity, right? But you need to look at the packets post authentication and see what they're doing, right? Is there attack traffic in there? Is there, you know, if you look at Snowden, um, Snowden was setting up all these SSH tunnels. And if anybody would have asked, why are you setting up all these SSH tunnels to these highly secure environments, uh, they would have put a stop to it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you would have looked at the behavior, it, it, it would have meant, oh, we're not, you're not going to get access to that and would have stopped it. So uh, out of that, then I can define zero trust as a layer seven policy statement. So, so that's the first four things, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a five-step methodology on how you deploy it. Everybody thinks, oh, how are we ever going to do this? You know, our environment is so big and we break it down into little sections. You take a big problem, and you break it down into really small problems, and that's how you solve it, right? You can't do everything at once. So the first step in zero trust is define the protect surface. What do we need to protect? I can take the entire attack surface, which is, of course, the world, and shrink it down to something very small and easily known like a protect surface. So an example is for PCI security, for credit card security. I'm a, uh, get, get your laugh track ready, okay? Okay, so, okay. Uh, so I'm a recovering QSA because PCI is a 12-step program. <laughs> there you go. But you, in PCI, you learn to protect a binary data string called a PAN, a personal account number. That's all that matters, right? So if I'm protecting that, I put that in a protect surface. The rest of the attack surface doesn't matter. I just need to now control access to that. So... The, that's the first step, defining what I need to protect. And I, I have an acronym called DAS or a DAS element to, to tell you what goes into a protect surface. So this stands for data uh, that is sensitive and needs to be protected or applications, could be assets, you know, IT, IOT, IMOT, IIOT, doesn't matter. 
uh, or it could be services like DNS, DHCP, Active Directory, Network Time Protocol. I take a single DAS element and put it into a single protect surface and build out zero trust one protect surface at a time. So that's step one. Step two is map the transaction flows. Learn how the system works together as a system. I learned this the hard way because early on when we'd be deploying some zero trust uh, environments, and I always use the word environment now because uh, people, you know, if I use the word network, they'll say, well, what, what about my cloud? There's no networks in clouds. We had, we had this discussion earlier. Yeah, no, there's still a network in the cloud. Right. But I use the word environment, so I don't have to have these conversations. So it, it, I, I want to map this out because we, I would have times when people would be uh, deploying some technology to protect the protect surface and suddenly everything would go down because they'd go, Hey, what's this old server in here for, for, you know, that's a windows 98 server. Let's get rid of it. It's old. And no one knew that like in one, one deal, it was the polling server between the point of sale terminals of about 5,000 restaurants over to the back end. And so as soon as you took it, took it out, all these restaurants shut down because they couldn't process credit cards anymore. Wow. Right. But yeah. since it had never broken, no one knew that it existed in the system. They had no visibility into the entire system working together as a system. And so we don't do a good job in there. So that's the second step. The third step is now we add the controls, the architecture. We do the architectural work. Everybody wants to have reference architectures that they can just change. And that's how we used to do it in the old days, right? And, and you look at the reference architecture in the back of your CCDA book or whatever and replicate it and change the IP addresses and say, here, here's your network. And the business would say, and here's the fundamental problem. The business would go, gee, thanks, that's wonderful. You've given us a bunch of round holes, but we have square pegs. And we'd say, hey, it, it comes with a free whittling knife. You guys make it fit what we've, do, <laughs> what, what, what we've done, right? And so every zero trust environment is tailor made for each protect surface until I know what I need to protect and how it works. I can't tell you what controls should be in there. And people do this to me all the time. What, what, what should I do? What, what product should I buy? I have no idea. What are you protecting? Well, we haven't figured that out yet. Well, you're going to fail until you know that first step. And then the fourth step is define policy. Uh, policy is defined in zero trust using a thing called the Kipling method. Rudyard Kipling, this is my personal homage to him because he gave us the idea of who, what, when, where, why, and how in a poem in 1902. And what I found as somebody who travels the world or did before COVID uh, and, and, and deals with a lot of different cultures, languages, uh, that every one of those has that concept of who, what, when, where, why, and how. So we can write granular policy by defining a who statement, who should have access to a resource via what application, that's a what statement, when, like when should that state, when should that policy be turned on? We should have a lot of policy that, that's turned off when we're not using it, right? And we should have ways of turning it on automatically when we need it. Um, and then who, what, when, where is, where is it located? That replaces, all these things are layer seven replacements for, for an old, you know, uh, port, port protocol, source IP, destination IP address uh, rule set. And then why is 
typically compliance, right? We need to have, we need to be, we can write rules. Think about this. There are ways to write rules if I know the data classification tag of the data that is contained in the payload of the packet. So if we were tagging that, we could automate that rule uh, process. And then the house statement is, what other things do I need to do to the packet to secure it? Do I need to run it through an IPS or a sandbox or, or, or whatever those things might be, URL filtering, all those things that are separate, used to be separate controls. Now we can just do them in a single run of a packet. That's called a Kipling method policy. That's step four. And then step five is monitor and maintain, right? So I take all of the telemetry and I re-inject it back and it becomes a loop in the system so that as I learn something, I can make different things stronger and stronger over time. This is the concept of anti-fragility from Taleb, right? So if you read, read the book, Anti-Fragile, he gave me a language to talk about what I have been trying to build for so many years, an anti-fragile network that the more I learn about it, the stronger it gets. And that's what I'm doing now as a managed service at Ontoit. We, we have really interesting technology that takes all that telemetry and makes the entire system stronger and stronger and stronger. So that five-step model is a repeatable design process. In fact, it's an, it's a, an equation. There's, there's a variable, X, right? X is the protect surface. So for zero trust, just solve for X. How much simpler could it be? All you have to do is replace the protect surface and that will tell you what the other four steps are, right? Because if it's one type of DAS element, you're going to need this type of control. If it's a different type of DAS element, you're going to need this type of control and this type of policy. And so I've made it really, really simple. And stuff that I read that other people are writing, I go, have you actually ever been in a data center? Right? <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that way. I think ah, that, that, that will never work in real life. But a lot of people can write about things and they don't have to translate them to real life. I have to live in the real world. And so that's why I wanted to make it simple and consumable. I, I, I love it, John. And I, 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 I wanna say we're, we're gonna pause now um, and I'm, I'm gonna make this a two-part episode. Um, so uh, uh, we'll, the, the, this episode will, will, will drop on a Wednesday and uh, we're, we're uh, if, if tune in uh, the, the following week uh, for part two of, of my interview with John.